everybody, and welcome in to another episode of the Make Comics Podcast, the show where we talk about the nuts and bolts of making comics. My name is Joey Grow. I'm joining Andy Schmidt today to talk about comics and kind of comics in general, movie and TV storytelling. We were talking before we were rolling. We thought we were going to approach the topic a little bit differently, uh, just in, in terms of overall storytelling. And we started talking about how the streamers and now it seems to have followed suit with the kind of standard older broadcast networks and older cable networks have changed their format and how many episodes they produce and doing shorter seasons and shorter arcs. And now your favorite TV series might only be 15 episodes versus times past when you watched seven seasons that were 22 episodes each. Uh, and how does that apply to comics? And why is there another new number one that I didn't know was a new number one? Wasn't there just a new number one last week, Andy? I think there was a new number one last there week. There was. There was. There were probably three uh, <laughs> of the same title. <laughs> and your your background includes, uh, among other things, working with brands and working with established uh, intellectual property that's coming over from movies and TV or might be going to movies and TV. Uh, not yeah. to mention your your time with Hasbro and and working with uh, Transformers on the the creative side and the the television side, so you've got you know insight into both the comics don't, world. Don't blame me for that. <laughs> <laughs> both the comics world um, and and different worlds uh, that that I don't have as as far as the the everyday roll up your sleeves get it done. But from an outsider perspective, yeah, just observing and, stuff and and hearing from people like you and other people in the industry. So much has changed about TV and movies. How does that affect comics? Does that affect comics? Is it just more of the same? And, you know, you, you had, a, had some insight on how it all kind of applies to each other and just storytelling in general. Right. So a lot to unpack. And, and I don't usually, like, plug another podcast in a podcast that I'm in, but they're, they're, I'm in both of them. But um, I'm on another podcast called Franchise Fan Guys, um, where we dissect movie franchises essentially and so on that on that show there are three of us and we will you know we'll watch like you know all the jurassic park movies and then we'll not just talk about the movies individually and what we like and don't like i mean you get that too but we talk about like um you know we get into like franchise development a little bit i mean we don't go like too hardcore heavy into it but like that's part of what i do for a living is i get hired to consult on brands and how do you build they're building one thing how do you build it out or what are the opportunities in merchandising or online or whatever? So like a lot of this touches on a lot, a lot of different things that I do, but what, what you had said that really kind of kicked this off and changed, I think what we were going to talk about was how, you know, TV is really episodic and you watch it and you get this, this arc and it's a lot like comic books. And I was like, well, sure now, but it wasn't always that way. Right. I mean, so you know, I remember growing up and, and there are exceptions, of course, to this, but like, you know, the, the analogy I used was, was if, if an episode of television is a pearl, I grew up watching TV that was just a bowl of pearls where you pick up one pearl, take a look at it. It looks lovely. You toss it to the side, but it didn't matter what order you would pick them up. And they didn't, they didn't create anything bigger. Whereas, whereas other shows now it is more common or the bigger shows tend to be a string of pearls where you consume one episode but then you consume the next episode in sequence and they add and then once you're done consuming all the episodes in that season you have this nice pearl necklace like you have this thing that is greater than the sum of its parts right um so 
what's what's interesting about that is that comics have been doing that for a really long time. Not to say not saying that it was invented in comics, but that really is how it was done. Like I remember watching um, the TV show Alias with Jennifer Gardner, that show, and that show was structured a lot like the comics I grew up on in that every episode ended on a cliffhanger. Right. Right. Unlike, um, like say, uh, here's another show I watched when I was a kid. I don't actually remember the show that well, but like wise guy that, that had like season long <laughs> sure. arcs. Right. I just want to, I just want everybody to know how old I, I am. I, I believe no kidding. I have seasons one and two on DVD. Oh, well, there you go. There you go. Uh, so like that would, that would, but each episode kind of was its own thing. Right. Right. Like you had an A storyline that would, that would have a beginning, middle and an end. And then the B storyline or the C storyline would, would keep going. But, uh, but alias like always ended at least for the first season or two, like always ended on like a pretty intense cliffhanger. Um, and it, and it was, it was, it was really interesting. Like, I remember like really noticing at the time, like I didn't, I couldn't think of any other show that really did that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then there were shows like there was another one that I liked when I was like I think this was on when I was in junior high. I think, but Quantum Leap was kind of great because you had an entire like you built a world, you had an entire storyline in that world, and then each episode ended with him leaping into another body in another time in another town, and then the cliffhanger was just like him figuring out like uh oh or oh boy I think was what he always said oh boy right, right. at the end of each episode like you'd be like oh I have an really crummy situation oh boy and, and, and that was your cliffhanger yeah and you as an you audience member story and you as it an audience like, member was you were hyped for the next one too right but what alias did was you didn't really get the climax in that episode you got to the cliffhanger and then the climax of that story was the beginning of the next episode you know it's kind of like you know the beginning of return of the jedi mm-hmm. is the climax of all of this all this other stuff so return of the jedi is 40 minutes or 30 minutes whatever it is on on uh on tatooine where you get the climax of the java stuff and all that kind of you know all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. before it goes into the climax of everything else but you know so those are like those are some of the really interesting ways that that you know we structure narrative when we're doing it in this serialized way and i think i think talking about things serialized and drawing a distinction between serialized versus episodic is is kind of important um but it's interesting now that like with these shorter seasons the the one of eight or ten episodes of queen's gambit or bridgerton or whatever it is that 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 you know people are watching these days um you know is is more similar to my mind to the like the story arcs in comic books Mm -hmm. but they're also the other thing that, that I see is that shows that are popular aren't lasting as long. So it's not even just that they're, they don't have as many episodes in a season, which I think tends to make the episodes count a little bit more. But they may only last three seasons. And then they're like, we're, we're still going strong, but we're done. Right. We're, we're cutting bait while we're ahead. And like I remember I got to the end of Gravity Falls, which is one of my favorite uh, shows in recent memory. And it's only two seasons long. It's cartoon. It is wonderful. Everyone who's listening to this should watch it if you have not. But it's only two seasons long. At the end of two seasons, it's done, and it reaches this really fantastic climax. I got to the end of those two seasons, so I'm like, okay, I really wish there was a third season because I'd love more. Mm-hmm. But this show was so good. I'm just going to go back, and I'll rewatch these two seasons. Hmm. 
which I almost never rewatch a show because who has time for that? But um, <laughs> I get some wise guys DVDs I could loan you. <laughs> right. That would be great. Um, yeah. And right now I'm, I'm watching more television shows right now than I have in years. Uh, it's taking me a while to get through them, but like I'm going back and watching shows that like I should have watched in some cases decades ago, but. And are those um, all similar formats or it sounds like you're just watching? You no. Know, so I'm, it's, it's mainly just like the stuff that like, look, I work in entertainment. Like the fact that I haven't seen the wire is kind of well, ridiculous. That is kind of ridiculous. I was, I was right. going to, I'm, I'm in season go. two. I'm in season two right now. I'm getting there. You're getting coming there. along. I'll, I'll be a, I'll be a pro again soon. We need to have, uh, have the conversation of what your favorite season was later. Cause I think that can say a lot, a lot uh, about your wire watching. Sometime. Well, I'm fascinated by how different season two is from season one. I'm only mm-hmm. two episodes into season oh, two, yeah. but it's it's fascinating how. Uh, so, so one of the things that was that I was super impressed with at the first episode of season two is how there were like real ramifications from the from season one, right? The changes that got that carried happened. over, yeah, to like these characters' lives because like the setup of that show is that these characters are in this unit together. So like I'm going in and going, okay, well then there's this special unit that everybody doesn't like or whatever. You get to know them over the course of the season. You get to know them over the course of the season. At the end of the season, like they're like disbanded. They blow it out. Just all this sort of stuff. I'm like, but the show is called The Wire. How can (laughs) there be a show called The Wire without a wire? As long as anyway. Hey, as long as Omar's coming, I don't care. As long as we got uh, (laughs) Omar on the way. So it was. uh, So so that's been really fascinating. I'm really I'm really fascinated by how that plays out because. Those characters are, for the most part, still in the show, but they're like, they're not working together. They're not whatever. So it's it's been really interesting. It's been it's been fascinating, and that that's a way to take risks, but it takes risks in a way that makes real sense to mm-hmm. those characters. And anyway, now we're way off track. But <laughs> what what's been fascinating that we were talking about was sort of this idea of really episodic storytelling where it's like completely self-contained but then you have something popular so then you do another one we shifted over to james bond we're gonna have spoilers in here like when i watched the last or latest i guess james bond movie no time to die like i read a review by a by a well-known well-respected uh james bertinelli this guy's name real reviews sure and and he was talking about how like this was sort of this achievement while he didn't love that last film per se as i recall but he was like there's this whole arc over these five movies that daniel craig starred in and goes across his across the his you know james bond's career and all this sort of stuff and i was just reading it and i'm like but that's all the stuff that that didn't work it's like in those five movies it's this it's when they were trying to connect them that the thing fell apart and, and, and it was and it was awful and I get it. If you're watching a James Bond movie, you've likely seen the other James Bond movies, but they're also just that. I don't train myself to remember them. Well, right. They're James because Bond it, movies. Well, they're how, right. It's been, what, 15 years at least of start to finish. And hey, remember Vesper? Nah, kind of. <laughs> She's still really integral to this first act and then the rest of the movie. OK. And then there's this other like it, the whole thing felt like. Oh man, I should have done some wiki, wiki reading before I started this because I don't recall this. <laughs> Which isn't to say it's bad to have arcs and be interconnected, but for James Bond as a as an entity as a thing, I think you could have done a lot of aging spy. You know, the the con- maybe they didn't want to retread the theme of where does he fit in the world. 
you know, that they they'd done well in other movies and looking back at the past. And I, I don't know. It just it, well, it didn't it, was, it didn't click. Well, they 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 made Casino Royale, the first Daniel Craig movie, and it was a hit. So then they were like, okay, let's do more of that. Then Quantum of Solace is not a great movie. Didn't did not get nearly the reception that they wanted. But it's a it's a good sequel to Casino Royale mm-hmm. because at the end of Casino Royale, Vesper has has died. That's the woman that he fell in love with. And while I don't fully buy him falling as hard as he seems to for Vesper and Lynn, like I don't think that's quite earned. Um, at least I get it to a certain extent. Like she's a legit love interest. She's also a compelling character in her own right. Um, like there's a really like good emotional scene in Casino Royale when you know she's not an agent like trained for fighting. And she gets caught up in an action scene um, with real consequences. And then there's there's the scene later where she's like in the shower and he just goes in and she's, she's not like, it's not like a sex scene. She's not like naked or anything. She's sitting in the shower and he comes in fully clothed also and like just sits down next to her and puts his arm around her. And it's this, it's a really nice sort of like, although I'd say it's poignant, but it's a it just it's a really good character scene. You don't get many of those in James Bond movies. Mm-hmm. So and that's not the only thing that makes her a good character, but she's a she's kind of a good foil. She kind of challenges him intellectually. Um, so she makes an impact as a character. So the second film is kind of him dealing with and then wrapping up, like losing her and all that sort of stuff. Now that aspect of that movie, the sequel aspect of that movie, I think works really well. Also, there's an amazing car chase in the Um, and then there's um, but then it didn't do what they wanted to do so Skyfall was a reboot and it worked really well so then Spectre comes out and and it's clear that they're like well now we should tie these all together and we have the rights to Spectre now so we're going to dump Quantum which was the big organization and just make Quantum part of Spectre Mm -hmm. and then Spectre does this whole thing where they try to wrap everything together and it's it's a mess. It's, it's a, mess. a mess. Everything that doesn't work in Spectre doesn't work because it's trying to to be bigger than it is and and bigger than it earns itself to be. And it's trying to, you know, to say that Javier Bardem from Skyfall had something to do with Spectre is ridiculous. It just doesn't pass this. It just doesn't pass the sniff test. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. So. And then the love interest in that is is and I don't no offense to. Um, Forget her. I'm blanking on her name. The actress that plays her. I don't think it's her fault. She's just not a well-written character. Sure. She's, she's she's a nothing character. Right. And then they're just like, but James falls in love with her, and so even in No Time to Die, the fact that that that's the love interest in that again, like I just don't buy it. But I also don't buy it because every movie you bring up Vesper Lynn, and she was legit. Right. So every time you bring up Vesper Lynn, I'm just reminded about how this girl isn't as cool as Vesper Lynn. Um, it's, it's almost so it's, the, the tell just, versus the show. It's terrible sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. It's, 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 it, it doesn't work for a lot of reasons. Right. But James Bond works best when James is consistent and it's a whole story in and of itself. Occasionally they play with the structure because they're having fun. You know, like the next movie will start with, with, oh, I track, track down a bad guy from the previous movie. So sometimes there's some connective tissue and that's fine, but right. it's never... It's never anything where you have to 
to like really follow the whole thing. There is no coherency in 25, whatever James Bond movie. And, and that's fine. And that's how that works. Other things are completely different. I was watching a show called dark on Netflix, like the first two seasons of which like the time travel rules are all very consistent and all that sort of stuff. It's really, it's really neat. It's really well done. So like the, it's about establishing those rules, but it's also bringing this back to making comics. Um, there's you shouldn't be taking and this is kind of where where we were originally were with it with it with the with our topic was if you've got an idea for a television show that's an idea for a television show it's not that the idea can't be used for a comic but you can't try to imitate tv and comic. i say i say can't but i don't mean that you can try but you should right what you need to do is take is boil it back down to the idea and rebuild it as a comic book mm-hmm. because people don't want to go to a comic shop and buy a movie pitch right. or a television pitch. Right. They want to go to a comic shop to read a great graphic novel or a great comic book. And, you know, and this is the, the other thing you and I were talking about and we're, we won't name names on the show because you know, that's rude. But, um, but we've both been there, right. Where we bought a comic and we were like, Oh, well, this was meant to be a TV show. Right. <laughs> like it's trying to be a TV show. Um, it's, and go ahead. It sounds like you want to well, no, I was going to say circling back to, to your greater point and comics that get translated to TV shows, uh, and writers that move to television and features, uh, Brian K. Vaughn getting picked up for lost from why the last man and, uh, ex machina. Like that, I remember that when that happened, it was like, Oh my gosh, a comic writer transitioning more into TV, which is probably more, common now with folks going back and forth or doing stints here and there. But at the time, this is my recollection, I've, I've done no prep, but he talked about, or, or at least the producers of Lost talked about how great his tune in next week, you know, next episode, next issue kind of cliffhangers were. But Why the Last Man and Ex Machina both really work as comics. You know, they, they might work really well as TV shows, they might not. Uh, but to your greater point, I know that from what I've read about why the ending was pretty much the ending that was pitched and the arcs were pretty much what was pitched to go from and allowing for all that room in between of, of happy discoveries. And I know sometimes TV sure. is real laid out and sometimes TV is, you know, breaking bad's been in the news as, as of the last couple of days, or at least the, the conversation on Twitter about, you know, the way that breaking bad was written and not knowing the defined ending, but having enough faith in the creative team to know that they were going to go somewhere with how that was going to be true to the characters and, and allowing that room to get there. I think a lot of times with comics, sometimes it shows when eh, we didn't really have an ending, you know, maybe there's a difference in not liking an ending and feeling like, well, this just kind of was whatever you came up with. Uh, but something like saga, <laughs> you know, that's, that's one of the comics that seems to be both critically and commercially acclaimed. And again, Brian K. Vaughn with Fiona Staples as collaborators having this, what, three or four year wait between issues uh, of this series that's in the 50s now that people you know really seem to love. And I'm sure there could be a saga TV show, uh, but I don't know that it would be structured like the comics. Like, it's such a, a funny thing to see right. what stays and what changes. And we haven't. Well, well go ahead. I just want to I just want to talk about Saga for a second. So Saga is a book that that I I greatly enjoyed at the start, and at some point I fell off, which is not a criticism really of Saga. There are like 
I could probably count on like maybe two hands in my life how many comics I've stuck with for for fifty issues or more. Right? Sure. But but the thing about the first the very first issue of Saga has a hook at the end that is brilliantly executed that I don't think would work in television. Hmm. Like I don't think that would be a great way to try and hook. Now maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong. I'm sure there's a way to do something very, very like it, but I don't think it would work. I could be totally wrong. Like it would be, it has to do with the interaction of the, of the, like the narr- the narrator, right. In saga, which is done on captions in the comic and with the narrative. I mean, I think, I don't know. I guess you could do it, but it would it would feel different, and it would be different, and you'd have to structure it slightly differently for it all to work the way that it does. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm just, I'm just trying to kind of agree with your point about that. It, I think it would be different. It would have to be right, and and that that's understandable and should be understandable. You know, jumping from medium to medium, but to I guess to the greater overall point, there needs to be that inherent storytelling to the medium. And it needs to pass that. Is this a comic? <laughs> is this a TV show? When you read it or watch it, kind of test. And you know, I think I think there are plenty of things that translate well to screen, or like you talked about, drilling down to that kind of core idea, or even something like, um, you know, an American Splendor, which is probably still my favorite comic made into a movie. It's just because it's it captured the spirit of American Splendor. And it did things in a way that were different, that took advantage of being a movie, but also really felt true to what Harvey Picar and his collaborators did and was such a you know singular kind of relatable human story. Uh, but it really worked great as a movie. You didn't need to read any of the comics. You didn't need to have any of that backstory or you know feel like you were out of, uh, out of the loop. It just really captured the essence of that thing, which, you know, I, I believe there were years and years of more, you know, American Splendor after the movie came out. That It wasn't something that changed the course of it wasn't all of a sudden like the franchise of Batman. You know, how many times can we reboot right. Spider-Man? That that kind of it was never going to be. It's uh, a lot, Joey. You can reboot Spider-Man and Batman. <laughs> I hear I can go no way home uh, now <laughs> available for rental. The uh, yeah, <laughs> but that to that point too though, you know that gets back to I guess storytelling and talking about issue ones and relaunches and it seems like at least on the superhero side that's pretty much the name of the game and has been for I don't know how many years, uh, where you know at the time ending uh, an action comics or uncanny X Men and starting over with a number one you're like why. <laughs> But now yeah, it's I like, mean, wow, this made it to 20 issues before it got rebooted. Right. It'll be interesting to see, you know, the, the you know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe has, you know, been around since 2008 now. Um, so what are we in 2022? Well, it's been around for quite a while at this point. And they've had four massive Avengers movies. Right. And then they sort of disbanded the team. <clears throat> now, Marvel Studios took cues from what the Marvel Comics does really well and decided to bring that into the cinema as opposed to how every other production company or studio approached turning comics into movies was, we know how to make movies, we'll take what we like from your comic, then we'll go make a movie. Whereas 
Whereas Marvel Studios seemingly said, well, we're part of Marvel. Marvel knows how to make superhero comics and they know how to do these you know, these cliffhanger endings and they know how to do these teas and they know how to play the long game. And we're going to take all those things that we do well in comics and we're going to, we're going to bring them to movies, which was something new and fresh and blah, blah, blah. And there were hiccups along the way and all kinds of stuff that we could, we could spend a whole another 30 episodes I'm sure talking about, but obviously it worked. But one of the things that they really have not figured out how to get around yet uh, and, and is really interesting is the fact that they're dealing with actors right? Um, who age. So, uh, and also become monumentally more expensive, the more hits they're in. So, <laughs> so it's really interesting to me, like, are they going to go, you know, what else we do well is reboot Avengers with a new number one every year. Yeah. yeah. Like, are, are they going to try and do a, and I don't see why they wouldn't at least try it. Are they going to try and do the, the cinematic equivalent of that? Are we going to get, um, and you know, is the next Avengers movie going to be called The Mighty Avengers? And then are we going to get out The Mighty Avengers 2? Right. Right, with a, with a probably all-new cast, you know. Or, you know, or are they just going to go, you know, we're, we're done with the Avengers for now. We're going to do the Young Avengers movie. Or we're going to do the, whatever, you know, Avengers Infinite or what have you. But it's just, it's interesting to me, um, you know, we're, what I don't know what they call this now. I think we're in phase four. But um, whatever has been coming after Endgame, it's been interesting to me that it, it hasn't felt like it has a through line. But, you know, I'm still paying attention. But we've now got, gotten away from your larger point, but kind of going back to how these media are all influencing one another. It used to be that film was the place where you got these strong story arcs and these for these characters that start out one way and they go through these dramatic changes. We're seeing that often more now in television than we are in in films, especially the bigger films that are, you know, the quote unquote blockbusters with a big special effects budget, because all their money is going towards putting cool looking stuff on us on the screen. Mm -hmm. And it's less concerned about character. I'm not saying there's no concern about character, but most of the real character work when we're talking about film and television that I'm seeing, I'm seeing in TV now. And again, there are exceptions and, and, you know, I'm kind of talking about the more commercial stuff, right. the stuff that tends to hit with audiences big um i mean there are some wonderful movies and some that get a lot of respect like nomadland that won the the best picture oscar you know the previous year it's a, that's a phenomenal movie like it is it is entirely a character piece but my point being that that, that used to be like film's domain was that deep character work and right now tv has taken it especially with these streaming services that are looking for going back to the new number ones they're looking for the new number one all the time. It's not enough to tell you there's a new season of Mindhunter. It's enough for me to hear that there's a new season of Mindhunter and I would like them to make a third season. Sure. Dang it. <laughs> but but for Netflix, it probably doesn't make as much sense to greenlight a third season of Mindhunter as it does to greenlight a new season one of something else that's going to be easier for them to promote because it's harder to promote episode 21 than it is episode one because episode 21 you gotta go you remember hearing about this show that you haven't watched it's really good and you should watch the whole thing and you should jump on here right or in their case you could get to the whole thing but it's just like it's it's you always need that new shiny object and it's why we get 
yeah, that's why Marvel and DC re- reboot all their comics with the number ones all the time. Well, to to our uh, thinking about listeners that are making their own comics, the field seems like it's still however you're going to do your creator own through a publishing partner or through kickstarting, Indiegogoing, you know, zooping, wherever your crowdfunding comes from, there's still a market for people who really want to read comics. And I, I don't know. I mean, do you get a sense that set aside DC and Marvel, do you get a sense that everything has moved to more of a, Hey, you know what? You're doing your six issues and you're out. Uh, I'm thinking of like a, a dark horse, a boom an aftershock an IDW, a vault, you know, and, and there are certainly exceptions in, in all those cases that have ongoings or comics that, you know, for lack of a better term, do seasons where, Hey, here's our six issues and we're going to be back in four months and have six more and six more. And that's, that's going to equal our 18 to 20 some, you know, 24 issues. And that's our run. Like it's planned like that because, Hey, we know the story is going to work like this, but also financially, it's just the best bet for the majority of, of books. Right. And, and there is a, there is a balance in there and, and the numbers may tell you something different than the audience will tell you, but there is a balance between like, you know, let's take an ongoing comic series, for example, that if it's an ongoing series or has been, you know, it's a legacy title like Avengers, right, or Fantastic Four, are you better off changing your creator team, changing your direction every 12 issues, every six issues, every 24 issues, every yeah. 36 issues or what? And it's not it's not going to be a consistent answer. The numbers, if you're doing some some sort of deep analytical work, you're moneyballing it, right, will probably give you the average, right, of like, okay, your best bet on average is to go 18 issues. Because if it's not doing what you want, you can you can ride out 18 issues and you're still gonna be profitable and you're gonna relaunch and you're gonna blah blah blah. But like audiences' attention spans are, are can be short on certain things and they can be long. Mm-hmm. But like you know, I remember when John, uh, I'm not sorry, not John, um, when J. Michael Straczynski and John Romita Jr. were on Amazing Spider-Man. There was this resurgence on Amazing Spider-Man. They did some wonderful work, but it is so extremely clear when that run was supposed to end <laughs> and then, and then it keeps going and it's not that it keep keep that it continuing is bad or that there's not good stuff that came after that but it is so clear that for 30 some odd issues or whatever what wound up being i don't remember exactly now that there was a beginning a middle and an end and there were some great you know short stories one two issue arcs in there and all that sort of stuff but it builds to this big giant thing and then when that is over it doesn't have that oomph anymore. And that would then that that is a point at which there is a case to be made for like, okay, let them close up shop, end on this high note, and let's bring in some some new people at that time. Whether it reboots with a new number one or whatever that's yeah, yeah. but um but you know, it's also hard. You know, the, the market is different today. Right. Um, and it's not as forgiving as it once was. Yeah. Um, and so it's really, it's harder even for Marvel and DC to say, we're going to give you 12 or 18 issues or something. It's like, we're going to get, we're going <laughs> to give you six and right. it might be five. Um, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It sounds like that's the reality though. Uh, have you, right. this might be a little bit of a shift. Have you read the, uh, Brian Hibbs still think at windmills doing the 2021 book scan analysis? No, I have not. It it came up last week. It's on comicsbeat.com. 
And it's an analysis that retailer Brian Hibbs does every year where he looks at BookScan and breaks it down as, as best he can with the data that he has. And it is a really interesting 2021. And does I, it, is, if the analysis is manga blew the doors off everything else, then I think it's probably right. Well, there is, but more, more, <laughs> more uh, accurate, it might be Dave Pikey and Dogman uh, own like 10% of the market for the top 750 books. <laughs> it's bizarrely interesting. So. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 that's that's true, but it's also true depending on how you define market. Sure, sure. Right? Well, yeah, because the, that audience is not the same audience that manga is going for. It's not the same audience that, that you know, most of Marvel and DC are going for and that most indie publishers are going for. Right. So if, if your definition of the market is anything in the medium being sold in North America, then yeah, that's right. Um, but also like manga in terms of volume of sales total, manga blew the doors off of everything else, which is a turnaround for manga. Manga, I mean, not that manga hasn't been massive in the in the marketplace. It has been, but it had sort of died down for a little bit and just, just yeah, just rebounded immensely in the last year or so yeah no um, you're you're right it's it's hugely manga and it's mostly it's mostly dog man <laughs> and then there's a right. like a arania uh togemeyer kind of uh books including yeah, a lot Guts. of slice a lot of slice of life and a lot of uh a lot of like ya or even slightly younger what, is, what i forget what the term for that is right now off the top but, of my head but, again again book scan yeah. so this is this is a specific yeah. it's not it's not even including library sales uh what you're talking about in terms of direct market. Uh, but it, yeah, it doesn't include the direct market sales. This is de, de, here's a, I'm reading out loud. Depending on your exact definitions of intended audiences, it appears that 17 of the top 20 is intended for children or middle readers. Four of the top 20 are manga. And if you're looking for a Marvel or DC, DC style comic, you are not even in the top 150. In fact, the first DC comic to appear is at 164 with the middle reader aimed at Teen Titans Beast Boy. For Marvel, their first appearance isn't until down to 892 with Infinity Gauntlet. So that take take that for what you yeah. will. It's if you're looking if you're interested in making comics, I think from a dollars and cents standpoint, looking at trends and years, you know, wherever you're getting that data and if they're you know, folks like uh, a retailer trying to break down that data. It's a, and it's an interesting thing to see where the markets are. And, and to your point, Andy, so much of it is manga. <laughs> and so much of it is also that, that younger audience, um, which, you know, we started talking about James Bond and, and audiences aging out with comics. And it feels like, you know, this is a greater question. I think publishers have wrestled with and i'm sure you've been in, in on calls and and deciding plans of action for you know what how are we going to attract younger readers or can we attract younger readers and having those conversations but just a, another interesting thing that goes into that that uh fire of making comics it does because and this is this is where i'm going to bring it all back around to me selling things is if you're going to make a comic, make sure you're making the best comic that you can. And and look, I do a lot of consulting work. I do a lot of I do a lot of creative services work where I help people who come in with scripts, make their comic, and all that kind of stuff. And the amount of people that I that come to me with 
I have a movie idea or mm-hmm. I have a fully written screenplay and I want to turn it into a comic, but they don't think they need to rewrite anything is immense. And it's, it's not a good idea to do it that way. Like it needs to change. And that's why, you know, if, you know, and, and, and obviously if you just want to make comics, then by all means make comics. But this is one of the things that comics experience exists for is because people come into those classes and, and sometimes I will have talked to them beforehand because we would have had these other kinds of conversations and say like, you need to make a good comic first because a mediocre or bad comic is not going to sell your TV show. You have to make a really good comic. If your goal is to sell this idea as a television show, the comic has to be out freaking standing as a comic. There's no getting around that because if anybody reads that comic and goes, yeah, it was all right. They're not paying for it to turn it into a to turn it into a show. It's right. got to impress. It's a comic, and so that's why learning how to write and how to illustrate and how to visually tell stories. It's why that's important. And it just so happens we offer those courses of comic oh. experience. Crazy how that works, and they start in May. Uh, intro to comic writing and intro to visual storytelling, the, the basic art class, um, start on May twenty fourth and May twenty fifth. Um, and they do tend to sell out. So if you're thinking about attending, I recommend you reserve your spot uh, early. Um, but that is how it comes back all around, is that no matter what it is you're trying to do, you know, and this would go the other way of if you wrote a comic script and it didn't get picked up by a publisher and then you were to go to a movie or a television studio and be like, hey, I want to give you this comic book script. Can you turn it into a TV show? They're going to say, that's not a good idea because you wrote a comic, not a TV show. Mm-hmm. And there would have to be a rewrite involved. It's going to work both ways. I don't know that that has ever happened. <laughs> that it has gone that way. Maybe it has. But um, but that's, I mean, and, that, and all of that, you know, I mean, it goes to adaptation. And then essentially what you're, what you're doing is you're doing an adaptation before you're doing the original work. Right. Is really what's happening. But like you were saying about American Splendor or about how the Watchmen, HBO Watchmen television show is a really good adaptation um, of of those things. Um, They are not the same thing as. And in fact, you can look at the Watchmen movie that came out in 2009, I think, like as a quote unquote, very faithful adaptation of Watchmen. I say quote unquote, because. Uh, because it's not a good adaptation of Watchmen. It is faithful. It It is shot for shot through most of that film and word for word through most of that film what's in that comic and yet it misses the point. Like it just, it just it d- doesn't understand what that book is. Um, I, I haven't so, seen it since it came out, so I can only imagine you're correct. Well, I, I did not revisit it. I have this, um, that is the only Zack Snyder film I can think of that I actually rewatch. Um, and it's not because I think it's great. It's because there are aspects of seeing Watchmen in moving images that I really enjoy, Hmm. but it is not a good adaptation of Watchmen. And anytime I put that movie on, it is only because there are bits I want to watch, but I don't think I've sat down and watched the whole thing from start to finish. (laughs) Um, and I don't, I don't know that I could like, and part of it too, is like when you're reading Watchmen and you're reading those, those, uh, chapters, I think it's chapters three and four, 
I hope I'm not wrong on that because I'll, I'll lose my comic book cred card. Um, all the Dr. Manhattan stuff where he's on Mars and he's, he's in different timelines at the same time. When you're reading all of that, it works great for the comic because you're reading it. But to sit there and have to listen to somebody say all that stuff is boring as washing paint dry. And what's fascinating to me is that segment, which is captured word for word, shot for shot in the Watchmen movie, doesn't work. Because it is captured word for word. It's not intended for that medium. That medium. However, there's the episode in the Watchmen HBO series that is an adaptation of that that uses the time, you know, the, the way he that Dr. Manhattan exists throughout time all at the same time or whatever. And it is great. It is brilliant. I, I really enjoyed this conversation today because we have a tendency to kind of, you know, we hit on certain things. I feel like sometimes we're hitting the same points over and over. But but this is a, this is a fun way to look at it. It's a fun way to approach to it. I enjoy talking about TV and movies too. Um, and that's a part of part of the work that I do that I don't talk about publicly as much. It's actually kind of why I'm on the other podcast, the Franchise Fan Guys podcast. It's like, oh, I can actually talk about this stuff over there. Um, but anyway, yeah, this has been fun, Joey. We should talk about movies more often on this comics podcast. Comic podcast about movies. So you can have special special yeah. movie adaptation episodes. But I think to, to your greater point, it's storytelling in anything. And uh, in my production company, uh, I haven't talked about this publicly. I've chucked the pretense of, not pretense, that's the wrong way to say it. I, I've done a back-to-basics approach on any number of things, um, including my own marketing. And what I am trying to do, rather than pay folks that I know to do it, is I'm trying to go through and do an SEO analysis, uh, as well as writing updated blog posts. And I'm trying to throw out a lot of ego in, in the sense of who my audience might be, because I'm realizing as time goes on, maybe I'm not reaching a local or regional audience that I could be reaching because they can't find me. And w what ties into this overall approach to doing anything creatively is I get dinged by the SEO plugin about my blog posts. And what that tells me is, hey, your sentences are real long. Hey, you're using the passive voice. Like all these basic things I know I should be doing, but until I look at it and have essentially an editor, at least as much as this AI plugin can be an editor, look at it and tell me, hey, did you do these things? And most of them are right. Like most of them is, oh, I did slip into the passive voice. What was I thinking? You know, it's all those, those muscles that you think like, I've been doing this for years. I got no problems here. And then you sit down and do the actual analysis of it and go, oh, I've gotten sloppy or I wasn't paying attention or I wasn't focused or, you know, whatever the reason is uh, that that you're doing that. And having that more granular level focus on anything, I think, is beneficial. But to your point, you know, when you watch movies or read comics or watch TV that doesn't work, there can be so much benefit in okay, so why isn't this working for me? You know, not that I don't like it. I think there's a big difference in, you know, this is not my jam, but it's totally, I totally get why people like it. And seeing that that the underlying foundation and structure makes sense versus, nah, I don't like it. It's not my genre, you know, or whatever. Uh, I, I think maybe that's also something that comes with age as you get more open to 
you know, there's, I think the music theory holds, <laughs> skipping, skipping into music now, where you, it's like, yeah, I don't care, listen to whatever you want. Whereas when you're younger, you're like, nah, it's only this thing. This is the thing that I like. My, uh, two of my favorite movies, uh, both were released on the same day, both released on April 11th. Uh, one of them is Gross Point Blank, and one of them is Josie and the Pussycats which I think those movies have a lot of similarities, not least of which they were released on the same day and the posters are real similar. But because I learned yesterday that they were, yesterday was April 11th, because I learned yesterday that they were released on the same days, I was trying to think about similarities and I was also trying to think about how do you make a Josie and the Pussycats movie? Because it's a long-standing Archie comic series that got made into this subversive comedy about consumerism. <laughs> <laughs> it's just all the things that go into a swirl of making a thing that connects with an audience and why. <laughs> I uh, I have not seen Josie and the Pussycats, but now I want to. Oh, it's great. Uh, it's it, I have seen Gross Point Blank several times. Also great. Um, it's also great. Yeah. It, very very different, but very similar movies. Yeah, Josie and the Pussycats uh, is wonderful. It's the it's my favorite movie with a fake band that has the best fake songs. It's uh. It's great. I still listen to the soundtrack frequently. So much to the point my wife loves to tell people that I love the movie because she thinks it's hurting me, but it's only making my power grow stronger. She's only struck me down outside of the tractor beam room. She doesn't understand. She's she's feeding the beast. That's what's happening. She doesn't understand why it makes me stronger. (laughs) Now that we've completely run off the rails, the... uh, the, the classes that Andy mentioned are online at comicsexperience.com. If you have something you want to talk about on the show, email info at comicsexperience.com. Andy, uh, you've been doling out really great Twitter th- threads recently about different kinds of comics making. Do you want to talk about that maybe and where people can find you on Twitter if they're not already following you? Uh, yeah, I'm at 39A Andy. So that's at 39A A M D Y. So there are two A's in there in the middle. Um, you can also follow at comic experience, which is the comics experience Twitter handle, but there's no S on comics experience Twitter handle. It's comic singular experience because there's a 14 letter, uh, uh, maximum. But, um, but yeah, on my thread, I just, on my own Twitter handle, I've been, I've been about, I just started last week. So we've only done this twice, but they're, they're my version of rants. You know, most rants tend to be like angry and whatever. So I don't really get angry, but they're my versions of rants. So last week I did, the first one was, uh, I think 10 reasons why a publisher might reject your pitch that have nothing to do with the quality of your work or the quality of your pitch. Uh, so it's like all these other reasons that might be totally valid, but, um, but have nothing to do with you. So hopefully it allows people to not take things too personally. Um, and then, uh, I think it was just yesterday as we're recording this, it was just yesterday I did sort of the top five things that an artist can do to their portfolio to start getting better portfolio reviews, like nearly instantly. Um, you know, and so I don't know that it'll be once a week, but, uh, certainly, you know, on that handle, you know, I'll answer questions and, you know, I'll, I'll chime in on topics. Um, I, it's just me. I don't like putting a lot of negativity out there. So I tend to, you know, I don't, I don't get, I don't allow myself to get dragged into a lot of that kind of nonsense, but, uh, I like talking about craft. I like talking about the industry. I like talking about the business of comics, uh, as, uh, as well as other things. So yeah, give us, give us a follow. Go do it up. Follow him on Twitter. And until next time, 
follow your heart, whether you're making movies, TV shows, or comics, but make sure you're making it for that medium and that audience. And also keep making comics. <laughs>